Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into today's interview with photo creative Giselle Morgenstern, um, I wanted to tell you about the new Patreon page I've created for the podcast. Um, if you've been enjoying the podcast and would like to support, um, you can go to patreon.com slash the photo banter. Um, if you sign up, you get access to the podcast two days early. Um, so if you've been enjoying it um, and like to support, it'd be much appreciated. I'll put the link in the description. You can go check it out. And on today's podcast, I speak with photo creative Giselle Morgenstern. Giselle has worked in many roles in the photography business, having started her career working as a fashion producer and wardrobe stylist for clients such as Nordstrom, Revlon, and Saks Fifth Avenue. Giselle has since gone on to work as an art producer for brands such as Anthropology, Airbnb, Sephora, and Banana Republic, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Giselle about some of the amazing productions she has produced around the globe and what goes into producing large-scale ad campaigns for various brands. I also speak to Giselle about what she looks for when hiring photographers and advice she has for photographers for marketing their work towards brands. Giselle Morgenstern is someone who brings a wealth of knowledge and experience in the photo industry, so I was excited to get a chance to speak with her. So I hope you enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Giselle Morgenstern, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, how you doing? We're living in crazy times right now. The last five months have been kind of nuts. Um, but yeah. I guess how's life for you? Like, have you been working at all, or how's how's life? I guess. Yeah. Um. Thanks for asking. I mean, currently life is. I mean, I can't complain. You know, like I'm healthy. Thank goodness. Um, my family so far. You know, they're in Arizona. They like are healthy as far as I know. Um, I have a few friends, sadly, who actually um, you know contracted COVID in New York, but they're recovering. So. Okay. You know, I mean, I think in in this time, yeah, just kind of taking stock of, you know, what really matters, and uh, you know, just trying to just stay positive. I know, I don't, I don't know. That sounds kind of hokey, but no, I think that's that, <laughs> that's good. I like which getting to keep me to wake up every day. You know, so um, I guess in terms of work, though, like have as have you been seeing any production start to pick up? I know I talked to you the other day, and it sounded like you had some jobs kind of circling around a little bit. I guess I was. Uh, work been for you I guess. yeah so I actually the, it's kind of nuts um I actually got really lucky because right before um you know the pandemic kind of like really like turned the world off in a sense or turned production off um about a month prior uh I was finishing up my contract at Airbnb where I was a contractor there um, doing like photo production and uh, photo art direction for about 18 months. And I was finishing my contract up and I was offered a position with Sephora. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this happened in February. And then, um, you know, in March, like when everything kind of started to, like I say, go crazy, um, I reached out because I wasn't supposed to start my job at Sephora until the end of March because I okay. wanted to like properly finish my contract with Airbnb. Yeah, I reached yeah. out to Sephora and was like, uh, hi, do I still have a job? Like what's going on? <laughs> and and yeah, and I, and I did. And, um, you know, I was really lucky because, you know, a lot of friends of mine, you know, in the industry, like just completely just got slayed, you know, and, uh, and I, I, I had a job up until about a couple of weeks ago. Um, unfortunately I was, you know, COVID casualty, the, the production department in San Francisco was, um, 
yeah. dissolved. But yeah, I mean, during my time at, you know, it was kind of interesting because when I was finishing up at Airbnb, I was, you know, working on like several different productions, like major launches they were about to have, you know, because uh, I think they they were just kind of doing a lot of marketing and promotion um just kind of gaining a lot of a trying to get a lot of a t- positive attention based on what was maybe or maybe not going to happen with their IPO. So I was just like working on so many cool things and then it just all like stopped. Yeah. Like everything got canceled. And then when I went over to Sephora, a lot of the production kind of shifted as I think, you know, probably um, I believe maybe Amy Von you kind of mentioned on your show, like um, when I listened to her, her speaking, um, a lot of things kind of shifted to like illustration or like digital art, kind of more graphics. Um, one thing that I was, you know, kind of working with my team at Sephora on was, you know, possibly like exploring like licensed imagery to use. Um, and then right before I left or I was let go, uh, I actually finally, you know, cause LA started to open up again, produced, um, an actual shoot, like okay. a video shoot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's been interesting to see like how photographers are are approaching it. Like I I just interviewed this photographer who I think you might have worked with Winnie Ow. Yeah. She's so smart because what she did, she I've seen a couple of photographers do this now is they photograph like their home, uh, their family, basically anything that they can photograph within their like this kind of internal unit, like their home, they're kind of offering up like, hey, if you need to do a lifestyle with like a dog or like some kids, and here's my location, kind of hit me up. So it's been kind of interesting to see how photographers and people are kind of approaching marketing through this crazy time well, you know that was like actually the first so the very first thing I did when I got to Sephora because um you know I have a I da- definitely dabbled in producing like digital art and illustration but you know the the reason why I kind of got into this industry and my passion was because of photography and mm-hmm. you know then that led to video so the first thing I did was I actually just started like hitting up all my contacts you know whether it was um casting agents modeling agencies um you know, agencies that repped both like photographers, DPs, videographers, um, anyone. And just, I was like, what are people doing? Like, like, do you have something, do you just a PDF to put together? Like, I know people are kind of trying to figure it out, but what are people shooting? Who are they sheltering in place with? Like, you know, basically kind of tell me what's going on because this is what I can try to then kind of package and, you know, present to my creative and marketing partners to be like, hey, production's not the same way that it used to be, but, you know, here are some ideas of how we can approach this and not just have, like, several months of marketing rely on digital yeah. art or illustration. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's tough. Like, there's only so much licensed imagery you can use. It starts to get kind of stale at a certain point, you know? Um, but, yeah, it's definitely been interesting. Um, but I guess to kind of go back, I was kind of curious, like, where you grew up and, like, uh, like what were you interested in growing up? Was it always kind of, like, creative, artistic stuff? Or, like, when did that come in the mix for you? Um, well, I, so I, I moved around a lot when I was younger. My father was in the military and I think, um, I, and I tend to jump around and go on tangents. So help, help kind of dive right. if, if you need to, but, um, so we, we ended up moving to Arizona when I was about six years old 
And I just, you know, remember pretty distinctly that my dad, every, every move that we did, it was like always a point of contention between he and my mom. And I, you know, when you're a kid and your parents like argue, but you don't, you don't get it, but you kind of pick up little things. So one of the things that they would argue about was he would bring this like huge collection of National Geographic magazines, like every move that we would do. Um, And I just, you know, from a really young age, I remember just pouring over these magazines and just really like falling in love with the imagery and, you know, kind of not fully grasping it, but just kind of like, you know, how is this done? How is this made? Where are these like far off exotic like places and people? Um, And then, you know, in high school, I remember, and this is going to like date me for sure, but (laughs) I would go to the Tower Records. Like I would like- I had had the Tower Records in Boston. It was great. Ours was three, (laughs) ours was three floors. It was awesome. Now it's like a TJ Maxx. Yeah. I don't even know what the one is that I used to go to, but um, I just, I remember like, you know, initially it was going to the Tower Records because we would pick up like- um, you know, and there were a couple independent record stores as well, but we would pick up kind of like all the information for upcoming shows and, you know, just obviously like music, like my friends and I, when I was, you know, like middle school, hanging out with older kids that could drive high school. But yeah. one thing that I kind of started to gravitate towards were like, they had an am- amazing like magazine rack. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. Like, and it wasn't just music, like they carried like ID and like Dutch and like, just like, so many like crazy like good fashion magazines so i started actually buying those magazines and just kind of like you know flipping through and wondering like what was going on and and i think that's kind of where things like kind of really started to develop a little bit for me you know just my interest in like photography and just kind of narrative like visual storytelling just how you know images can really transport you and take you like to another place um That's cool. And, you, were, you, know, you were like doing photo research from an early age. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, and then I, I just, I think I went to an arts high school in, in Phoenix. There was one that opened up uh, like when I, like a magnet kind of program when I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah, um, yeah. So I went there kind of hoping it would give me like some kind of a, a boost um, to kind of move into something. Uh, because, you know, neither of my parents had, they were both immigrants, so neither of them went to college. So I didn't really have, like, anyone in my family that to kind of help guide me and direct me. You know, my parents were very much like, like, work, make money, pay your bills, like, don't have debt, da da da, da. So. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I went to this arts high school, I was, it kind of exposed me to, you know, obviously, like, other places, like, um sv sva and like new york and um you know just like the pasadena art center in california um so i kind of knew that there was like places out there that would kind of foster and encourage people that had an interest in art um and unfortunately i didn't have you know like the funds and couldn't get scholarships to go to any of these schools so i ended up staying in arizona and just going to school there. Um, Cause at this point, were you like taking pictures yourself? Like, did you kind of have a camera? Or you oh yeah, pictures? sorry, let me back up. Yeah, so in high school when I, I studied, um, I went to this arts high school, there was a, a teacher there who come from SCAD who was teaching photography. Yeah. And um, I took her class. And again, this was kind of all like coinciding with like me kind of finding these magazines and kind of starting to like really just move beyond um, like, I guess the, 
I don't know the the photojournalistic style of Nat Geo, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. really like produce kind of, stuff, portraits. Yeah, like, like look, yeah, exactly. Like looking at like stories, like editorial stories, and you know, kind of again, not really having any grasp on it. Now I know, and I can speak to it, but just kind of seeing like the difference in like visual storytelling. And so I took a class with her, and she was amazing. Um, just like a really cool, like, you know, just again, fresh out of college, she just moved to Phoenix with her boyfriend, kind of like needed a job, like person, you know, just kind of real, I don't know, role model, but just, yeah, she definitely was like someone who I think kind of was really encouraging and opened up my eyes more to photography. And we, of course, at that time, again, you know, to date me, like everything was done in a dark room. And I know it's like, I feel like I hear this whenever you hear people talk about their experience with photography, but it was just like, yeah, such a cool like experience to like, yeah. you know, be in there and like, you know, sloshing around with like the chemicals and see your images kind of like develop in the bath and everything. So it's pretty wild. Like I was just having this conversation with my friend today, like film is like back right now. There's like so many people yeah. shooting film right now it's pretty it, cool to see like I know I actually bought some film this week so it's kind of I started from the same place and it's kind of it's interesting to see it kind of come back full circle all these people are getting excited about it again you know I know I I'm, I'm happy about it I mean and I hope it's not just a novelty and it actually kind of continues because I think I mean I, I love digital too obviously for different reasons I, I think yep. that you know people that are purists like are that but you know things are always going to kind of like advance and change and that that opens things up for even more and more people that gives access for more and more people to create like amazing yeah. moving things so but yeah I'm, I'm happy that people are kind of rediscovering like film it's just it's just fun coming back to it you it's know? just a good time like just to break out the old like whatever you got a little house of you got a little 35 it's just like a good time you know yeah yeah um yeah so I, I that's that's kind of I think what first gave me like a taste of really like my hands-on experience but you know again so then I I went to school and um ASU did have a photography program but I just I don't know I just kind of like just didn't want to pursue it because I even though I enjoyed photography I I actually at that point was more interested in um kind of working for a magazine um, and not as a photographer, but just in some capacity. And I didn't really know how or understand like how to get into working at magazines. But again, I just like hoarded all these magazines that um, I would collect. What was some what of your some favorite, 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 favorite magazine? Oh, well, like I said, like at that age, it was like, I loved a lot of zines that were being out there that don't exist anymore, but kind of some of like the, I loved ID magazine, oh, yeah. that, like the, the one, the face, you know, um, yeah, don't they, always, they always go like one finger over on ID. Right? That's, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. a cover thing. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a signature look. And, you know, the face, and like, I, I think um, those were kind of like two like major ones. Um, Pop came, you know, came around later, but that was like another one that I loved. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was one called Big, but I, I might be me me like messing the name up because, you know, my memory's not as good as it used to be, unfortunately. I need to get like that fish oil or whatever it's called, but yeah um so what were you majoring in in college what were you doing this well like, so in school i i i'm because it was asu and they had like a really good um com not communications but like journalism department so i thought oh yeah they have like a, like broadcasting who's they have a huge yeah, walter cronkite yeah walter cronkite that's like a big yeah. deal yeah i know some kids who went there 
Yeah. So, you know, at the time I, w- I was kind of like, okay, well, if I'm, I'm going to be stuck, you know, stuck in Arizona, I guess I'll like do what the school's <laughs> known for. And um, so I majored in uh, journalism and, um, you know, I, I don't know, again, I just kind of was just trying to like, just get out of college, like as soon as possible. I was not trying to linger around and like have like a full robust college experience. I just was like, I just want to get through this and get out. So I kind of just did whatever I could do just to like graduate like as soon as possible. And, you know, looking back, if I have kids, I'd probably like give them different advice, but you know, I just, I kind of like wanted to graduate and just like start my life. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like a hard, like thinking back on it now, it's like, you're like 18 and they're like, you got to make the decision. So what do you want to do for the rest of your life? It's like, at yeah. 18, you don't even fuck your, your, your experiences are like limited in terms of I the know. world, but then you're like this stuck in this thing where and I had friends who like switched majors like three times. And I mean, hats off to them. I couldn't do it. Once I made the decision, I was just like, I'm just going to stick here. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of how I felt because, you know, I think that you I, you meet with these like counselors and, you know, not trying to throw any college counselors under the bus. I'm sure there's some <laughs> amazing ones, but they're, I'm, you know, as a person that's, or a young kid who kind of needs guidance, he's like, I don't know, I'm interested in all these things. They were just like, well, you have to pick a major. Or you're not going to be able to register for classes next semester. And then you're going to lose your scholarship and da, 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 da. Yeah, it's crazy Um, yeah but yeah so I just I just did that I I kind of studied uh journalism and just you know kind of wrote out like that wave and um I had uh, a couple like friends who were certainly had gone off to like New York and LA and were like doing like cool shit and art and I would definitely stayed, you know, in touch with them, like someone who kind of, you know, started shooting and a couple of people that actually went up to San Francisco and, but I, I didn't really have like a close kind of connection to them. Um, because again, I was just kind of still trying to figure stuff out. Like I knew I wanted to work in magazines. Um, I, I kind of, I think later, like maybe after I graduated when I was I kind of stayed in Phoenix for like a few years, like two years to, and just saved up money because I was planning to move to New York. And okay. um, uh, someone had, I kind of was like re- like looking through a magazine again, like I don't remember what, what title it was. I don't know if it's still around, but there was an interview with Martine Sipbone. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, but, and it, it kind of, that was the first time I learned what a stylist was, a fashion stylist, because it was like talking about, her outfit and she just looked so cool in the magazine and it was like stylist martine sitbone i was like stylist that's okay <laughs> yeah like that's something i could try to do so that was kind of actually my my direction early on was like save money move to new york and work in magazines or work as a stylist so what did you do when you first got to new york were you like you mentioned you're doing styling was that first like once you got there you tried to kind of get into that i guess uh, yeah i just hustled like crazy like i just was you know, I mean, I think the actually I did a bunch of things when I first got to New York, which maybe some of the people listening can relate to. Like, I had some weird jobs, you know, like pat. I was like one of those people that like, passed out flyers like on the corner and. Oh really? And, yeah, and like I just you know because I moved to New York with like no job and just like a denim jacket, like coming from Phoenix, like not fully understanding how cold it got and yeah. you know like a suitcase and. Um, but yeah, and I just like, you know, every person that I met, like, cause I would go out a lot, like just kind of like go like to different like club events and nights. And I would just tell everyone I met, like, you know, I was like that bright eyed, like, you know, eager, like young, like, I don't know, just 
I'm a stylist. You need, let's work. Let's yeah, work. I was like, I want to, like, I want to work in styling. If you know anyone, like blah blah blah, and and you know, like some something happened. Like finally, someone co- contacted me and was like, I got your name. You know, I can't pay you. Do you want to be my intern? I was like, yes. So, and you're doing started. And like for people listening, like how would you describe? Because like styling, there's like so many. There's even like so many genres within that job. There's like wardrobe stylist and there's like prop stylist and there's like food stylist. Yeah. Um, what kind of stuff were you working on early on when you're working as a stylist? Um, I was primarily doing wardrobe styling. So I was like, like interning, assisting like various, you know, whether it was a uh, various like fashion editors and stylists, if they were doing um, editorial shoots for magazines or if they were doing um, marketing shoots, campaign shoots, catalog shoots. Um, and then, you know, of course, e-commerce kind of started to take off so but yeah just like a lot of wardrobe styling so it was everything from you know being on set and like kind of having like the styling kit ready to go to like doing kind of quick tailoring like pinning the clothes on the models um sending faxes (laughs) sending faxes to um the pr houses and the um people that kind of like manage like the collections to like pull stuff for like the editorials that you know we are working on so so that's kind of what I, I started in when I first moved to New York. And, um, you know, as, as like a, a person that's just trying to, I think, make make money, you know, mm-hmm. and hustle. Um, at, you know, after a few. Oh, I can't hear you. I think you muted. You're, I think you muted. I did. All right, now you're there. Yeah, I muted it's for one, a second. One of the, sorry, it's one of those like, you know, computers where if you, if you wipe dust off, you like talk about it and you don't know what happens. No worries. Um, yeah, we're just talking about you're kind of working in New York as a stylist and stuff. Um, was was like clothing and like fashion something you were interested in? And like if someone wanted to be like a wardrobe stylist, like what type of skill set do you think you need to like do that type of work, you think? Um, well, to answer your first question, yeah, it was definitely something I was interested in. Um, you know, again, kind of stemming from just starting to pick up like those magazines when I was younger and, um, just kind of, it was really, it was really a cool just feeling to kind of like go from looking at these magazines and wondering how these, you know, editorial shoots came together to actually being on set or being on location and having like the flash go off and like working with the talent or the models and just kind of like learning how um, a stylist would work on their concept to kind of like, again, tell a story through how they, you know, planned the the look and the clothing. Um, and in terms of skills, um, I don't know if it's going to be helpful because, you know, I think the industry has changed so much since I used to do it, but you just have to, I think like really just be ready to just like work your ass off. Cause you work long hours. Like you, you know, you, I remember I was doing like, I would do, you know, shoots that would start at 6am and you know, it's an editorial shoot and you don't leave set till like midnight. And then you have to like, kind of, you know, be really organized and like, catalog all the clothing and just like um you know just be really nice and you can't complain and you can't eat and you can't like get in anyone's way and I don't know just um I think I guess I guess drive would be a skill you know to- I always thought it was amazing because when I work with like uh, freelance stylists and stuff like uh, I've worked on a bunch of shoots and uh 
when you're freelance, they're buying like a lot of the clothes sometimes. Like they have like this huge inventory of like, I got this shirt and this jacket and this hat and stuff like that. So, and then that's just a job in itself, like having to go out and buy all this stuff and then like yeah. return it and still make money. Was that like part of the job sometimes, like having this to get the resources and have different um, Yeah, I mean, depending on like kind of the client or what the type of job was. Yeah, like um, if you were doing like a shoot for like, uh, I don't know, like a Verizon commercial or something, you'd get a budget and you'd go out and like do all the shopping and kind of like buy all the clothes. And it, that was kind of fun because you would – it, when you're doing an editorial for a magazine, again, and I caveat this by saying this is kind of when I was doing it, so things might have changed since yep. then. But you know, you had you'd always you'd want to like look at kind of the shows like online, like on style.com, and kind of like reach out to the publicists or the PR houses or the press people and pull your looks, and then kind of put like again a visual narrative together but a lot of times you would have to if there was like a brand that was a major advertiser with the publication you would have to feature them so for example if like um versace like bought like a bunch of pages with condé nast and you were doing a editorial shoot for condé nast you'd have to feature like a lot of versace and yeah. you know so so that was kind of the component of like the editorial shoots but with like a shoot like i said verizon or another commercial client when you're you you don't you can't like you don't have the budget to go out and like buy that kind of clothes but you can go to you know target, target or whatever i mean no one went to target in new york so it was like, <laughs> but you know you go to like h&m or like those places and you'd buy the clothes and you kind of have to you'd get like your cast and you it was fun because you'd kind of have to think about like you're again you're telling a story you're creating a character through clothing um for you know, this client and like, what does that mean? And then, you know, and you, got, and you have to have like a lot of options because like in the middle of the shoot, right. like the photographer or the art director is like, Hey, do you have a Brown hat that looks like this? Right. And, then, and you're standing there like, sorry, we only got blue. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The brief is like, you know, summer and every, all the families in shorts. And then they're like, where's the parka? I want to see the kid in a parka. And you're like, what? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. those are fun. Those are fun times, but yeah. yeah. Having to do all the returns, that was cool as an assistant, you know, just like going from store to store. I was definitely banned from like, I was on the list, like a couple <laughs> stores, like, yeah, that's what would happen. Down, like, don't, this girl can't like return. You're like, hey, lady, why are you returning 40 shirts in yeah, exactly. every other week? <laughs> Sorry, Century 21. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, like, how did you kind of start getting into, you know, you, we're talking about you starting styling and stuff, and then. I know you work a lot in uh, production now and photo and video. How did you kind of make that transition into working as like an art producer type uh, role, I guess? Yeah. So um, I think that I was really fortunate because a couple of the stylists and fashion editors that I assisted, they were um, not just kind of like, I'm here to, you know, pull, as I mentioned earlier, like the, the credits that we need to feature they really were part of like the whole kind of concepting with um the photographer or whomever they were working with so um you know like i said a couple of this like two styles and fashion editors that i worked with they wanted to be involved with like the set the casting the location um who who was selected for hair and makeup and that wasn't the case with all stylists some stylists that i assisted just kind of showed up like made sure the clothes looked good and like that was it but but i was very lucky because like i said a couple stylists were really involved with the creative process and that really kind of 
again, opened my eyes up to like, oh, you know, it's, it's kind of more than, than clothing and make and doing this visual storytelling. It's like all of these other elements you can have a voice in and you can kind of be part of. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of one component. And then the other component was that, um, again, just trying to like make money and like hustle, like a couple of my friends who were producers just started being like, you know, hitting me up and being like, Hey, are you working this week? And I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, well, come, come be my PA on this shoot. Come be my like production coordinator. And I just got kind of fell into it like that on accident. And, you know, after a certain period of time, um, styling start as, as much as I love it still and loved it at the time it this the jobs just kind of started to get less and less and the production jobs just kind of started to get more and more and um yeah I think that's that's kind of what just it just happened like purely on accident and then I got a yeah I was just kind of doing both for a while and you know I'd be kind of doing styling assisting one week and then another week I'd be helping casting for like a fashion show or producing like you know, a shoot here. And it just, it kind of was just straddling both lines for a bit until I was hired full time, I think, by Anthropology to go and produce in-house for their catalogs. Yeah, I was excited to talk you talk to you about that because you guys did some like pretty amazing work. Like it, it's pretty cool to see a brand like that. You guys like traveled around the world and shot some pretty cool locations. Um, yeah. How did your kind of job uh, come about working for Anthropology? Was it like something you're kind of going after it just kind of popped up or how'd that kind of all come together um so I had a friend who I, I worked at Streeters the um the you know management agency for a little bit um and just was like this is not for me I do not want to be an agent at that time <laughs> yeah I looked at that so at Streeters management they were representing I believe some like directors and like stylists and stuff pretty much yeah so when I was working with them it was yeah like everything like photographers, stylists, hair, makeup artists. Um, they had a couple of like really huge, you know, again, at the time names on, on the bill. Yeah. And um, I was there for a bit, like, and that was really fun because I was working mostly in the hair and makeup division. And I was able to kind of work with some of the assistants that were assisting like the, the really big name, like hair and makeup artists and like kind of develop their, you know, book and help them kind of like develop their, my heart wasn't into it. I wasn't really into that job. So um, I left after like being there for a year and a friend of mine who was still at Streeters a couple months after I'd gone back to freelancing as like, again, doing styling or production as needed. Yeah. She mentioned to me, she's like, Hey, anthropology is looking for an internal like art buyer producer. And she, I, yeah, I was like, I had no, I'd only been to Philadelphia like once. I went just down there to see like a grizzly bear show or something and like <laughs> came back on the, on the like Chinatown bus. So I had no idea about Philly, but I, I was, you know, obviously I shopped at Anthropology. I kind of had an idea of like that they, you know, did their stuff on location and I was, I was interested in it for sure. And I think after I met with the team, um, I was even more interested because I hadn't really done production in house before. Again, it was all just kind of like me showing up and like freelancing and just kind of making people laugh and like organizing and, ah, you know, but this was definitely like kind of stepping things up a bit. And yeah, I was very lucky. I, I, I was able to, 
to to swoop you know, I don't know like convince them to hire me and they did and like <laughs> so, yeah because you were doing photo you were producing photo and like some video projects it looked like right and like, yeah at, at that point had you even like done any like video production or is that kind of a new territory for you um I mean I'd been on video sets as a you know in the wardrobe kind of team and kind of again had done some of my own uh styling you know starting to after a certain point in time you kind of break off and start to do your own stuff yeah. don't assist anymore um but i hadn't really yeah produced any video and i think you know this was kind of when video was really just starting to kind of like take off and um every basically every shoot that you did needed to have like a fashion video to like or a mood video to accompany mm-hmm. it um so it was definitely like a learning for me but yeah it was fun just kind of like jumping in and yeah you know, just really like working a lot with the photographers because I think the ones that were savvy were definitely kind of picking up on that too and understanding that this is what clients were asking for. So they either were doing video themselves or they had a great like assistant that could also kind of toggle between being a first assistant and then, you know, shooting video for them while they directed. Um, and and all the, the shoots that we did because we were – we did studio, but a lot of the location shoots, we were just very like lean and mean crews. So, mm-hmm. you know, just definitely making sure that we had the right teams who um, could really kind of capture the the video um, with like minimal resources and just like, you know, do it quickly and like be able to kind of like move and be flexible. And that was like super key and Cause, important. Cause do you feel like a big part of being like a producer is like having the resources and network built that like, hey, if I need to call uh, this photographer, if I need to find like a DP that has the experience, is that like a big part of your job is just kind of building these like networks of people that you can call on uh, if you need them for certain projects kind of? I feel like that's kind of 100% of what, you know, at least the way I define how I produce is like one thing that I definitely tell like clients or potential companies I'm going to work for is you're not just hiring me because I know how to do a budget and like, you know, put things into an Excel spreadsheet. You're, you're, you're hiring me because of my relationships Mm -hmm. with vendors and artists and talent. And these are relationships that I've cultivated for years and years. You know, I mean, there's people that I used to like work with and be on their set as a styling assistant that I was then able to kind of pay it back and like hire them as like, photographers or directors when I was producing and I, I still like I've been talking to their agents for like you know 15 years or something so yeah. I think absolutely yeah yeah definitely yeah because each project is so different and calls for a different type of like photographer different type of stylist whatever so it's like important to have those networks right. and with anthropology um, how are they kind of set up like did they have like a internal studio with like in-house photographers or were you guys just hiring everybody like freelance from outside of the company or how did the because I've worked at a I worked at a few like in-house companies like I worked at Hasbro for a while and uh, they did uh, they had like a whole studio with like five full-time photographers and it was just kind of interesting but like how did anthropology kind of approach their uh, production I guess yeah so when I was there it was actually both so we had um, an internal studio that um, was capturing like a lot of the kind of still life and then that kind of expanded to well no it was also when I started there I was doing like kind of the the e-commerce shots um, and that team kind of you know we were 
were, it, we were part of the same team, but there was separation. So my main focus when I first started, and then of course my role kind of grew and I acquired like more responsibilities in my four years yeah. there, but, but I was definitely focused more on um, the, the marketing like catalog shoots. Um, yeah. But again, I think the great thing about like that company was uh, they really just celebrated everyone's kind of unique view and creativity. So, you know, you could kind of really go in there and make a job like, you know, what you wanted it to be. So I think that a lot of the things I did as a producer don't necessarily fall into the typical like job description, like production bucket, you know, because you, I just had to be scrappy. So um, like, for example, like if there was a hotel that we wanted to shoot in and I was going to ask you, you shot one in Brazil yeah. called a uh, UX UA uh, yeah. hotel and spa. And it was a cool story. It sounded like you kind of pitched the idea. It was like pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean um, that hotel, it, it, I, yeah, it was such an incredible location and I kind of came across it by just like, look, I found it in like a editorial and, you know, you obviously with anthropology and like other brands, you definitely have budgets that you have to adhere to. And um, you contact a location like that, that like kind of caters to like a certain demographic in the world. And they don't necessarily, they can't really do rooms at like per person at $250 a night. No. So, you know, as a producer, like I said, you, you kind of have to just like figure out um, other approaches. And, um, you know, I just kind of, went in there and just really put on like a strategic now that i've learned what the role is at other companies my strategic partnership hat and you know you got a wheel you got a wheel and deal yeah exactly <laughs> i just was like pitching to them like hey well you know why don't you come meet me at this budget and we'll like kind of like we'll do x y and z and um and yeah just you know it was it was a great kind of way to flex like other skills and kind of just get shit done like make it happen so yeah that was the coolest thing like looking at some of the work you guys did at anthropology because like i found sometimes not always but sometimes like when you're working in-house a lot of times the photography can get kind of stale and monotonous because you know companies just get in a groove and they kind of keep doing the same thing over and over and over again but it seemed like with like you're saying anthropology they they were pretty open to like it wasn't just you're producing it almost seemed like you're like kind of creative directing and kind of pitching ideas and stuff like one sheet you guys did that I was really excited to talk to you about was uh you guys shot at the Paris Opera Ballet yeah uh, actually I'll pull it up right now so people <laughs> it's, uh, it was a cool shoot like what was that all about um so that shoot was yeah that was really cool um I actually can't take credit for any of the um the ideas for that shoot because I will kind of step back the again the great thing about anthropology was that um I worked with a really supportive team that, you know, allowed me to kind of not just be someone that was like making sure all the equipment was ordered and the flights were booked and just like kind of taking care of all the production details and being like the executor. Yeah, um, yeah. Th like depending on who the creative director was that I was working with, they were certainly, they knew that I had a creative background, that I came from this background of being a stylist. And again, like, as working for some people that allowed me to concept and cast and like present locations and present like kind of an art direction feel. And they really groomed me and encouraged that from me. So I was definitely more of a, a partner versus just like a producer. Yep. Um, but I, yeah, I had some, I worked with some like really 
great creative directors at anthropology. And I also worked with some like really horrible ones too, but yeah, <laughs> every job. But yeah, yeah th but this particular shoot, um, it was all about um, kind of, you know, showcasing um, inspiring women. And this was kind of when, you know, like, I guess there wasn't the term, the, the term influencer wasn't coined yet, as mm -hmm. far as I know, and like, you know, kind of our yeah. like language or whatever. But um, yeah, we worked to find like women that were inspiring and kind of like had something, some substance and something to st say um, and just really stood for something. And as you could see, like at the bottom, it's really faint, but it says like women of character. That was the theme. Yep. So um, yeah, we were so lucky. Like, I don't even know how, how it was pulled off, but we um, were able to kind of cast um, the premier ballerina for the Paris Ballet, um, Marie Agnes, I'm gonna butcher her name, like Gio, maybe? It's all right. Yeah, I knew, I knew how to pronounce it at the time, but I was like- It's been five years, years. <laughs> I'll let it slide. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry Marie Agnes if you're listening. But um, yeah, so it was just an incredible experience because you know, we, we went there, we went to Paris and we got this location and um, she's, you know, she's not a model, she's a dancer. So she just, we put some music on and she just got on stage and yep. just started dancing and it was, you're like, it's like basically you're just there again with like a lean and mean crew yep. and you're getting this like performance of this like incredible, like talented artist, just kind of all. And are there like, was there like any challenges to like producing like a campaign, like out of the country abroad or is there like any uh, different things you have to do in terms of like, um, work well, pieces or stuff like I that? Mean, yeah, I mean, all, most of the stuff I produced was always um, abroad. So this one is pretty minor compared to some of the other shoots yep. that I worked on. But yeah, but this particular shoot, I mean, you know, it was really difficult to find a location. And I think we actually got this location like at the very last minute. So that all came together. Um, we were planning to shoot in her apartment, but her apartment just, you know, sometimes you see photos um, online or not online, but photos that are emailed to you, and then you actually get to the location and scout it, and it's just oh, not it doesn't the same work. thing. Yeah, um, but that was actually that shoot was relatively easy because you know there was one shoot I did. Um, I don't know if I I have it on. I think I do have it on here. It was a shoot that I did in Vietnam, and um, yeah, if you scroll down, <laughs> that one, the girl in the boat. Right yeah, here. this one. Man, you, guys, you guys really did go. Uh, not this one. Yeah, sorry. Go back. No worries. Um, yeah, if you go go down, it's it's right under the girl with the glacier, which glacier. was another amazing. Shoot. Yeah, so go up. See the see the girl laying in the like. Oh, the, this one. Uh, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so this shoot, we were doing it. We planned to do it in Vietnam, and um, I kind of give the description there. Like we planned to go specifically because in Hoi An, Vietnam, they have this like lantern festival every year mm -hmm. and um right before we were scheduled to fly out the there was a um cyclone i believe or what's the storm a typhoon there was a typhoon that had come through and it it hit like it, it passed through the philippines and then it hit this particular area of vietnam so the whole town that we we're planning to do the shoot in was flooded and then on top of that, like our model, you know, which happened quite a bit, like something happened with her passport. So she wasn't allowed to like come into the country. She was like stuck 
you know, in another country. <laughs> and so basically our, the shoot that I had, that was supposed to be like a five day shoot with scouting included kind of got condensed to two days with scouting in that two days because we couldn't go into the town because it was flooded. You just couldn't drive in and out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Cause like, cause like this shot, like you said, it was like the lantern festival. We're looking at this photo right here where it's the model and then like five kids. Yeah. Is, is, is this a situation where you guys are actually casting these kids or is it more, you got the model, you kind of show up at this event and then try to make stuff happen on the fly. Yeah, I mean, this was just kind of, I, I always, when I would do like a, a shoot in another country, I'd always hire a fixer, mm -hmm. uh, someone who knew like the location, someone who, you know, knew the language, had relationships with people in the community so they could kind of, you know, make sure that it was okay for A, us to be there, B, for us to like, you know, kind of shoot in those locations. Maybe we always made sure that any, um, you know, cast or extra talent that we had in the shoots were always like compensated. Yeah. Um, so for this particular shot that you just were referencing, yeah, she, she, the fixer, we saw these kids like selling lanterns by the water. And so our local fixer um, and she just kind of went up and like spoke to them or their guardians and just, you know, in Vietnamese and like basically yeah. negotiated and, and yeah, we were able to get the shot, but it's crazy. You can't just like go into those places and like, you're not like, it's not a studio where you're alone and it's quiet. Like nah. as soon as people see you like with a camera and like a tall, like, you know, you're in Vietnam and you see the like tall, gorgeous, like, you know, woman, like wearing these clothes, like it was insane. Like we had so many people that were just crowding us, like trying to run up and take their own photo, like stepping in front of our yeah. photographer and, I mean, the fact that we got that shot, it was like, we really were like, you have five minutes to do this and we got to go. And yeah. yeah. It's kind of a fun way to work <laughs> though. It's like, it's just like, get out there and make it happen. Cause like, you know, yeah. sometimes the production processes get slowed down. Everything's just so slow. It's like, all right, we got to do this and this and this. It's, it's, it's got to be kind of exciting to be like, all right, we're just going to go out in the world and it's like trying to make shit happen sometimes. Yeah. But again, we had, we had a, we had a shot list, a shot count that yeah. we had condensed down to like one and a half days but no it was it was incredible and again you know that was just I mean we had an amazing photographer Diego Chattel that we were working with Diego is someone that I again I used to be a styling assistant on his sets in his studio when he had it down in Tribeca so um yeah just like again relying on those relationships and just making sure that you're set up for success and like how maybe we could speak about like how when you're producing these shoots like that like what kind of goes into the choice of like what photographer you're going to use? Um, like how, how did you kind of approach that aspect of the job? Was it kind of, did you kind of continually use the same photographer over and over a lot for these catalogs or how did you kind of decide who to hire, I guess? Um, I think it was both. So I think there were certainly photographers that again, you know, you, you work with and you kind of like, um, develop a good rapport with a good relationship with, you know, that they can deliver, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and, you know, as a, as a brand that had very shoestring budgets, what I'd like to do was when I was booking with, you know, some of these um, talent and the crew is you want to be loyal, but you want to reward them and be like, Hey, like, I know we're not paying you as much as like X, Y, and Z client, but like, if we can like knock this out of the park, like, 
there's going to be a couple more jobs happening within the next few months and you know it'll be fun we're all laid back it's like you're getting paid to travel to an amazing location with like a fun group of people like we yeah. had to work hard but you're getting portfolio pieces out of those shoots yeah. it's like good stuff yeah but so it was that but there it was also, I mean, I definitely, again, I think this came from, you know, my days at Streeters. I loved kind of like always just researching and finding like just new talent to work with. And, and um, like the, the Brazil shoot actually was like a brand new photographer, um, Eric Madigan Heck. I mean, mm -hmm. now he's not brand new anymore, but at the time, like he, he was pretty established. Um, I don't think he was as big as he is now. And, you know, it was just, again, just like, found his work. Um, the story was like all about color. And I mean, his imagery is like, certainly does color beautifully. So it was a great, again, just partnership, you know, just kind of like finding the right rhythm. Um, there was a story that we, again, kind of did, we've traveled to Mexico and we really wanted to do like a really beautiful, like raw, like very natural kind of uh, portrait story. Yeah. Um, and so we hired like Yelena Yemchuk for that, you know? So um, it, it was just, it was kind of both. It was like, oh, we have this shoot coming up. Like we know that this person can do it and do it well, or this is the concept for this shoot. Like, um, you know, let's, let's try this person out. And I would say 95% of the time it worked. I mean, there were a couple photographers that we tried out like that were just duds and that just happens you know yep yeah yep. that's not the right fit and yeah. I guess you know a lot of photographers listen to this podcast like like what's the best way like say a photographer wants to shoot for anthropology or, or whatever x y and z brand like what's the best way to approach like someone you think like to approach an art producer to show your work like uh, had had you ever worked with any photographer that approached you to show their work or like how, what's what advice would you kind of give to people trying to get yeah. their foot foot in the door either to like an ad agency or a company directly you think um well i think that each art buyer and each producer works differently so i can i can tell you how i approach it but i feel like i'm sure other people that you may have had on the show or, or are going to have on the show will have maybe similar or varying advice but um i i think that I, it's again, it, there's a couple of different things. Number one, it goes back to relationships. So if I have relationships with certain um, agents or stylists or hair and makeup artists, they will sometimes kind of reach out to me and be like, hey, like, I just worked with this like amazing photographer, like this girl kicked ass, like you've got to see her work. And she's like doing beautiful things. And they'll kind of send people my way. Um, I also try to attend portfolio reviews as I'm invited because that's a great way I think to get exposed to talent that you know are not in my network that I would not you know kind of be exposed to or like see or understand um yeah. promos like you know I, I definitely like I know I don't know if that they're going out of fashion but I I do also like to get promos and I I use them like okay. I'll, I'll kind of keep promos that I get and kind of like have like, well, I don't have a desk anymore, you know? Um, but at the time when I did have a desk, I would definitely have like buckets, like boxes of like, this person's really good for portraits. This person's really good for like reportage style. This person's good for like still life. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think also I just kind of like the way I do it is I think if, if, yeah, just some people aren't going to have the same response. Me having been on the other side and having kind of like been a, a you know, up and coming stylist that was also trying to hustle for work. I think I, 
I get it a bit more. I understand the struggle. So when people do reach out to me, like I certainly try to, you know, like engage with them, you know, and like, um, you know, kind of, if I can't do anything with them at the, at the time, you know, just like, I definitely look at their work and keep them in mind. So yeah, just kind of be bold and just like reach out. I mean, you may not get a response, but there might be someone like me who was in that position, but when she, I first started my career. So I try to, I try to pay it forward, you know? Yeah. And I think there's like a level of persistence you have to have. Like, obviously don't email people every week or every day or anything like that. But you know, like every, every few months, like check back in, like, here's my new work, check it yeah, out. Exactly. And so you kind of stay on your radar and stuff like that. Cause you're getting inundated with so many people, but I would imagine if someone really wants to work with the brand you're producing and their work is a fit, if they're kind of persistent, you're going to kind of start to remember them, right? Yeah, I mean, like that, like Jacob, who kind of connected us is a great example. Like I haven't been able to work with Jacob in a professional capacity, but he is someone who um, I think I, I got like an email from him or maybe a promo. I don't remember how I came across his work. And then he just kind of had reached out a couple of times. And, you know, it just was kind of this mutual like, yeah, like, He's like, I'm a fan of what you've produced. And I'm like, I'm a fan of your work. And like, <laughs> so, so we kind of just like stayed in touch. Again, I haven't had a chance to kind of work with him, but it's it's just, yeah, like just reaching out and just yeah. sending yeah, your he, updated he stuff. His research, because his work kind of fits like what you, a lot of the stuff you produce. So it kind of makes sense why he reached out to you. It wasn't like, he's not a fashion photographer reaching out to somebody that does like food photography. You know? Yeah. And I would say that's definitely kind of probably like a good point to bring up. Like if, if you, if you kind of have a specific type of client that you want to work for or a specific style that you feel is your aesthetic, like kind of stick with that. Like, I think if you're like, you know, I obviously haven't worked on anything that involves like car photography. So if it's a, photographer that mainly shoots cars and that's kind of their passion like I mean if you reach out to me like I don't know that I would have a place for you but I could certainly you know refer you to someone else I know that maybe is yeah, producing yeah. something like that but yeah yeah it's kind of know your know your audience yeah it's like do the research do the legwork yeah. um and uh you know I noticed you ended up working you're working at anthropology you ended up working at uh, TBWA I always get confused because there's like yeah. Shyat Day and then there's Media Arts Lab. Is it like, <laughs> is it the same company or is it two different things basically? Um, so Media Arts Lab is kind of like a, an arm of Shyat Day, of TBWA Shyat Day. And Got Media it. Arts Lab has, um, like Shyat Day has like multiple clients and Media Arts Lab just has like one client. So. All right. I won't mention it because we got NDAs, so we can't talk about it, but I was... <laughs> The point I was trying to make, I was kind of curious, like how different was it producing like in-house for a client versus an agency, I guess. Is there really any difference you think? Yeah, for me, it was definitely um, really different. Um, you know, I had, again, my, my producing career had kind of been this weird hybrid of like being a freelancer on set to like going in-house and being part of um, kind of building like the brand and you know kind of contributing to like what the the visual um identity of like a brand could be you know especially when you're at a place for like a few years like I was with Anthro mm -hmm. um and again just having that kind of creative support to really kind of have a voice in that um but then when you go internally to an agency um you don't really have that um 
that kind of level of involvement. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're you're definitely there as as a as a service versus you're, yeah, because of- you're you're basically executing the client's uh, business uh, a vision that hired the agency. Pretty much, it's well, not so much creative. Well, kind of. I mean. I mean, you're the, the agent, I mean, I worked with some of the most amazing creatives I've ever worked with in my life when I was at Media Arts Lab. And yeah. they definitely kind of came to the table with their, their, you're basically selling like your creative and your vision to the client. But yep. once they sign off on something, it's pure like service. There's no room for error, wiggle room, like mm-hmm. adjustment, like, oh, we, we got on set and we actually thought this would work better. Like we thought we'd play around with this. It's like, you have to, you're, you have to deliver exactly like point by point what you sell, yeah. um, which, you know, that it was definitely interesting. And I'm glad I got to kind of experience that side of my career. Um, but I, I certainly missed kind of being in-house like at a brand and getting to kind of be more of like the evolution of like what yeah. you're putting out in the world yeah the, the advertising agency business is wild it's like uh, yeah. it's like if you got clients everyone's working and then as soon as the, uh, they lose a client everyone's <laughs> laid off and it's just this constant like <laughs> like it's yeah. it's, a, it's a crazy environment um, yeah hey you know one thing i was kind of interested in talking about um when you're working on these big campaigns and you're hiring photographers uh how important are like the treatments people put together and just the estimates and are there like, um, yeah, just how important is it? Are there like any common mistakes photographers do when putting treatments and estimates together for like these big campaigns you're working on? Um, I think that uh, treatments are certainly, I don't know if they're, it, again, it's kind of, it's very subjective. So I think um, treatments certainly are, are like a great bonus. Like, I think that when you are kind of looking at a couple of different photographers and you get like treatments in, it certainly can help sway the team like one way or the other. So I would always recommend if you have the time like and to put an effort into doing a treatment because like I definitely have been in situations where, you know, we were kind of leaning towards one photographer based on their work, but then we'd get this treatment in from another photographer that might have been like our third choice and it like shot them up it's it's kind of it's like it shows their level of professionalism like their the the detail they put into everything kind of right i mean i think that but i also think it's just like usually you'll have like a create i mean the way i like to do is i have like a creative call with my team and the potential photographer and then it just shows a how they interpret what you're saying what you're trying to do and, and b like how they would approach it and that's kind of it's a great preview to see like what you're going to kind of get when you hire this person. Um, So yeah, so I definitely think treatments are like a great thing to do if, if, if the situation allows for it. Um, And in terms of estimating and budgets, that's also like, I think it's, yeah, you have to, I I guess my one piece of advice, and now that I've kind of um, shifted into consulting for photographers, because that's kind of what I've started to do now. Mm -hmm. um, I've always actually done it because I've always had, you know, starting as a styling assistant and having friends that were photo assistants and then learning production. I've always like helped my friends, but now I'm kind of really exploring that. But I think a lot of photographers, what happens is they are so kind of focused on getting the job that they will um, not really accurately estimate for like everything that they need. And then what happens is they'll kind of like come in with this like incredibly low pitch, which I always kind of am like, wait a minute. this like a red, It's like a red flag because uh, you don't want to go short because then you're just opening yourself up to problems when the production actually happens after the fact. 
Yeah, and it's just, it's always like kind of a, a sticky situation when, you know, you have to kind of, after the job wraps, like, I don't know, just, 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 you're, you're basically, you're like, you're not, as a photographer, as an artist, like, you, you have, to, it's like, you want to feel good about things. So I always would hate it in my position when, you know, a person wouldn't feel like they were um, paid appropriately and, you know, paid for that, for the work that they were doing. Um, or they would kind of like leave a couple things off and then come back after the fact and be like, actually, this happened while, you know, we were shooting and I didn't account for it in my estimate. And it's just like, you know, as a producer and as the kind of the, the keeper of like the budget, you, it's like, I get it, but this is what I sold to my team. Like, this is what I budgeted. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it, it could, it could be like a, a bad way to kind of build a relationship. Yep. Um, and I, you know, the advice that I give to photographers that I consult with now is like, I understand that you want to, there's like different ways that you can kind of adjust your, your estimates. If you feel like you want to kind of come in low to like book the job, like maybe it could be like a caveat, like, Hey, like, I really want to work with you. Like, you know, let, can we do this? Like for like this one time thing where I'll lower my rate to X, Y, and Z. And if it goes well, maybe we can discuss like a rate increase for the next booking or, yeah. you know, just like, I think there's different ways to approach it, but just kind of coming in and offering to do a job that would potentially cost like 35 K for like 5 K. It's just like, no, nah. like yeah, don't, don't, don't yeah, even yeah. waste my time. Yeah, so. don't, yeah, trying to, like, like cut corners on actual production costs is just a waste of your time. Like, sure, yeah, adjust your rate or whatever the usage is and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, trying to cut corners when on stuff that you actually are going to need, it's, yeah, it's just kind of, you're yeah. opening yourself up to problems later down the road. Yeah, and I've had, like, definitely, like I said, I have, like, a lot of friends who are photographers or, or people I don't have relationships with that have been referred to me that are just kind of, like, very earnest and, like, I just this is my weakness. I'm just not good at estimating. And that's kind of where I try to come in and like help them and, you know, just be like, well, did you remember to account for like this and your transportation costs and, you know, shipping, like little things that I know as a producer that they, they may not realize or think about just because. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. It's important to talk to people. Yeah. Cause I made those mistakes early on and I started, I don't have a rep, but I, anytime I put like a bid together, like I'll work with the rep and like, certain states got different payroll things you have to do and like totally. everything's different so it's just yeah. like that, that just kind of opened my eyes yeah yeah consultant it, it's important and i think you just want to be fair like I, another thing is you know on the on the flip side is if i i see estimates that come in like super high it's like someone that's asking for a rate that is just like kind of not the level that they're at you know that's also kind of like a you know come on like you don't, don't yeah know. you don't you don't have you're not in touch with the market of like what actually is going on you're yeah kind of like again I, I always want to make sure people like are happy um when I work with them and feel like they're they're getting compensated like fairly um but at the same time you know if, if you're kind of coming in and asking for a rate or and sometimes agents do this a lot too you know that definitely falls on the agents because they want to I think get you know as they should want to get the most for their artists but it's like you're trying to get a rate for someone who like literally just started shooting like a year or two ago like for someone who you know I know has been in the industry can deliver like for like five years like it's just you know there's just a disparity there so yeah, probably because they have someone else on their roster who's been in the game for like twenty plus years, and they're they're trying to get the same rate for that guy for the guy who just started. And it's just, it's yeah. two di it's two different things. Um, and speaking about reps, uh, 
do you feel are you opposed to working with photographers that don't have reps or like do you think it's important for photographers to have reps or what's your kind of opinion on that relationship um, I I, no I think I think both I mean I think um you know I think I've, I've experienced working with photographers from all different types of situations you know mm -hmm. photographers that aren't wrapped photographers that do have reps photographers that don't have reps but have like their own producers you know so yeah I, I just think as long as you know the people that are kind of part of the photographer's team or if it's a photographer themselves are you know professional and kind of you know if if again just just honest like if it's someone that's just starting out and doesn't have a rep that's just like hey like this is kind of new to me you know I don't know or just I guess to answer your question I'm, I'm starting to mumble but yeah I, right. I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it to, there's not like one thing that I think is prefer, preferred over the other that's so. good yeah I think you kind of mentioned it having like a good if a photographer has like a badass producer that has like a lot of experience like you almost don't even need a rep sometimes because the producer is the one who actually knows the X, Y, and Z costs of everything and are going to save your ass. It's happened to me like so many times. It's just like <laughs> producer, man, producers save lives. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's a really, I always say it's like a thankless job, but yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and then I, I know you ended up, I was excited to talk to you about you. You ended up going to work for Airbnb and you guys got to work on some really cool projects. Um, yeah. How did Airbnb come about? Uh, cause they, they seem like they do, they do some really cool photography over there. Yeah. Airbnb, that was such a great experience. So I, you know, again, I, I kind of had left anthropology, um, to move out to California and then, um, took a little bit of a detour from fashion and working in house for like retail brands because I got this opportunity to go, um, work for an advertising agency with a tech client. Yep. Um, but, you know, my personal life kind of just was, and that was in LA and my personal life was just kind of like, I had to, I was kind of being called back to San Francisco. So, um, I'd met with Airbnb when I first moved to San Francisco, I met with, uh, some, the, some of the creative team over there, just again, you know, just, just through networking, like a friend of mine who was a producer was like, Hey, you got to meet this girl, Giselle, blah, blah, blah. So I came in and it was really funny because I met with them like two years before I actually started working with them. So when I moved back to San Francisco, I reached out to them again and I was like, I'm, I'm in San Francisco. Like I'm not in LA anymore. Like, do you have any work for me? And they literally came back to me and they were like, yeah, can you start next week? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. And, and that was just, again, it was just such a, such a cool different kind of you know, detour because my main experience so far had been with retail um, fashion brands um, and going to work for a company that their branding and their photography was just like different than what I had known before, what I had produced before. It kind of, I needed to kind of just really like study up on on different styles of photography and it, it's um, a really interesting company because airbnb is a tech company they really that's what it is yeah. uh, but they their advertising is much more it's like lifestyle photography a lot of times so it's very interesting the stuff they utilize it's kind of like uh, uh interesting stuff because like one project i was excited to talk to you about you did with ryan i'm gonna butcher his last name and i got mad respect for you ryan uh, yeah how do you pluger no, it's Fluger. Fluger. Yeah, all right. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Ryan. Mad respect for your work. Uh, but yeah, how was it working with him? Because it seemed that seemed like an interesting campaign you guys got to work on. 
So I'm really glad that you brought this up, actually, because um, this was actually kind of a unique project for Airbnb, and it was different from all the other projects that I was working on while I was there. Um, So this project that I did was for um, Pride, and um, yeah, there it is. (laughs) And um, I I was, I I have to say, so um, kind of advocating for um, LGBTQ plus um, community is actually kind of like one of my personal interests Mm -hmm. and something that's really important to me. So when um, Airbnb kind of like was talking about putting something together for Pride, again, this was kind of like something that was a departure from what I had been working on. And I just kept kind of like raising my hand, like me, me, please, me, please, me, please, you know, and Luckily, my um, my manager kind of, yeah, she had confidence in me and, and allowed me to like kind of produce this project. So um, it was, he he's so talented. I mean, he is such a talent. And what was really important for this particular shoot was um, something that I've kind of been pushing for, you know, a lot the past few years as a producer is just really um, diversity and inclusivity. And mm-hmm. um it was really important on this shoot that every person like on the crew was, um, you know, LGBTQ plus or identified that way. So um, having like the the crew, having the hair and makeup artist, the fashion stylist, um, we made sure to, to know what everyone's preferred pronouns were that we could refer to on set. And I think the great thing about Ryan and what was kind of different for this campaign was it was really just about having like this intimate setting where he could really just kind of have a a very like um, natural and authentic kind of experience and conversation with the subjects that he was photographing. Um, And I think that that really came through um, in the work. And this is, I think, this is probably, you know, as a, as a photographer, as a producer, as like a creative director, you have certain projects that you work on throughout your career um, that really, you know, kind of stand out. And this is by far, like, I think one of my, my favorites and one of, one of the projects I'm most proud of. That's awesome. And like, what kind of, how did you approach casting for this? Like the people that are, are, are featured in these uh, advertisements, how, what was that process? Um, so casting, so this actually came together, um, in like two weeks. It's always like those fast and furious shoots that are like super fun, um, (laughs) where, you know, you have to deliver like something like, um, you know, like fully like retouched and final, like two weeks and also do the shoot in that way and cast. So I had an amazing, um, product, I had amazing production team. Like I had an amazing production coordinator. I had an amazing co-producer was, who was just handling the video aspect. And together we, we worked with, um, a, an, a nonprofit, God, I can't remember the name of it, agency in New York that works with, um, elderly, elderly LGBTQ plus, mm-hmm. um, people and that was kind of like one of our one of airbnb's official partners for pride um so that was kind of one way that we pursued casting was working with that particular nonprofit. and then another thing was just i like to call it spiderweb casting where it's just word of mouth you find someone on instagram you send them a dm and then you like 
say, Hey, like, do you have any friends that are interested? Like, like send us their Instagrams. Like, who's this person? Who's this person? It just kind of spreads. I don't, know, I don't know if you do this. I've done this so many times when I'm looking for somebody for a certain project. I go on Instagram and I hit the, like the, the location tag and you can see all the recent photos and you can just see like people that live in this area and stuff. And I'll just like reach out to people that way. It's such an interesting feature. Yeah. That I hardly ever use it, but it's worked out so many times. Yeah, it's a little creepy, but it definitely works for casting. When I, think it, I think it's like, a, it. <laughs> as long as you're like professional, because I mean, my Instagram is like all professional. It's no personal stuff. So it's, I just approach it like an email, like, hey, I'm X, Y, and Z. Here's my website, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but that's how we, um, we handle casting that way. It was just like word of mouth. And like, we would find, we would find like a, an artist in New York that maybe there was like an article written about and, um. Yeah. you know try to um kind of see if they had friends i mean there there is an amazing um casting agency that does specifically represent like lgbtq plus um community they're called uh, i believe new pandemics i want to or new pandemic oh my god if i'm getting the name wrong i'm really sorry but anyways right. um, i've been trying to work with them for for years and um you know just um again unfortunately just with the timing on this project um couldn't make it happen but you know, I wanted to plug them because they're really great. And if anyone has a chance to, or has anything coming up that they could use them for. So. Yeah, no, it was an amazing project. Um, but I guess to wrap up, like uh, you, you've done a lot. It's You've had a really interesting career that kind of had your t hands in a lot of different baskets. Uh, uh, what's next for you? Like anything you're excited about? Obviously, we're in this like crazy time with the pandemic. So producing is kind of nuts. But I guess like uh, <laughs> any goals for you moving forward, I guess? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that uh, there's a couple things, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm like freelancing again. And I think one thing that I'm, you know, kind of personally trying to pursue is just really um, getting more into kind of creative concepting and like art directing, because um, that's something that I definitely kind of, I think, dabbled with a little bit, um, and was really given the opportunity to kind of pursue that at both anthropology and Airbnb. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that for anyone that's looking to hire a producer, you could hire someone that has certainly, like I said, the experience and kind of the, the formulaic mind to, to do a schedule, to do a budget, to kind of cross all the T's, dot all the I's, like make sure every production detail is taken care of. Yep. But there are a few of us out there who did start in creative roles and can really offer like an extra service of you know being kind of uh like a creative partner like helping suggest you know different talent do casting um pitch locations like kind of understands like a little bit more of the creative nuances that might kind of serve um an art director or creative team's needs and i think that's really I don't, I'm hoping it's going to be a, a helpful benefit as, you know, kind of our times now dictate just it's it's more about quantity versus quality. And, and you know, a lot of the art directors that I have been working with over the past few years, it's just about like churning out like just just content, like just putting content out and they may not always have time to kind of have the or have the luxury of time to like fully flesh out like a concept or fully um, kind of you know, put a, a creative team together in their minds. So that's, you know, an area where myself and kind of the other like unique hybrid kind of creative producers can, you know, kind of step in and help fulfill yeah. that, like that role as a partner. For sure. Uh, so that's one thing. And then I think the other thing that 
I'm really kind of trying to pursue, um, you know, is just if I am working with um, brands or if I'm hired to work on projects is just, again, kind of um, making sure that um, there is like level of representation that is kind of for, for everyone, um, you know, in terms of what the brand's not just putting out, but like who, who the brand's hiring, you know, making sure that um, if you're going to be shooting like um, a person that is like, like BIPOC, then you have a crew that represents that. Or, you know, for some of these brands that are like athleisure or fashion, making sure that you're really taking into account casting like models that are, you know, kind of representing like all types of bodies, like body positivity. Um, so I think that's something that I've been interested in for a while. And I've certainly, as a cliche goes, like been in those meetings where, you know, you try to pitch people and I've heard like, oh, well, our customer's not ready for that yet. And, you know, I've just been trying to, I think, I think now that the conversations have been happening lately, it's, um, it's definitely like the voices of people like me are, are kind of now being considered and heard. And I just want to keep like moving that forward. Yeah. Keep, keep, keep hammering Giselle. Keep hammering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I'm glad we connected. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody Can listening, I, if they want to check out more of your work, you can, you can go to your website, right? Giselle Morgenstein.com. Morgan Stern. Morgan Stern. Sorry. That's okay. It's a, it's uh, a long name. Yeah. I know. Um, like, and you mentioned consulting. Is that so photographers want to reach out to you? Is that something you're like doing through your website or? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, find me on LinkedIn or, you know, find me on my website. My email is g.morgan, M-O-R-G-E-N at gmail.com. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like just really just doing it case by case. And, you know, like if you need help, like hit me up. Perfect. So, well, I got thanks. nothing else to do. So I'm happy to help. Thanks so much. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Peace. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Yeah, later. Thanks for listening to today's uh, podcast episode with Giselle Morgenstern. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the podcast, you can go to our new Patreon page at patreon.com slash thephotobanter. Um, if you sign up, you can get access to the podcast two days early. Um, so like I said, if you've been enjoying and would like to support, it'd be much appreciated. I'll put the link in the description so you can go check it out. Um, but I have to give a big thank you to today's guest, Giselle Morgenstern. I um, really appreciate, appreciate her taking the time coming on and um, talking about all her experience working in the photo industry. Um, I definitely learned a lot just kind of hearing her perspective as someone who hires photographers and has worked with a lot of different brands. Uh, so can't thank her enough. Uh, definitely go check out Giselle's website at GiselleMorgenstern.com. I'll put the link in the description so you can go check out some of the cool projects she's worked on. Um, and as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every week on Monday, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as YouTube at the Photo Banter page. Um, so definitely go check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening and take care.